Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber. Uh, I've got to, uh, the bulk of this podcast is going to be about reporting on the Doan two-man camp that happened uh, this past weekend here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, here in you know September 15th weekend. Um, but I also have a couple of segments. Uh, Scott Ordway, a longtime listener, sent me some questions that I answer in a segment and I also talk about uh, working B and C position in, in two-man. Um, there was a good article in the most one of the most recent referee magazines about that. So I thought that was something I wanted to touch on as well. So I've got um, quite a few things, mainly two-man mechanics that we're talking about. But uh, that's something that most of us work most of the time anyway. Um, even the umpires that work some higher levels, they definitely get some two-man in. Uh, every year and that's the basis of everything that we seem to do in umpiring so it's certainly something that we all can continue to improve on and uh, get a little bit better and it's something that has to be taught for the basic umpiring skills that we all want to uh, develop and then move on to bigger and better and brighter pastures on the umpiring land so hopefully you'll find some of these things valuable sit back and listen to another episode of the hammer an umpire podcast. Longtime listener Scott Ordway sent me another email, which I always appreciate. He sent me a few, and any of you out there, I, I always love getting emails from listeners with questions or comments or whatever it might be, so feel free to do that. Um, a good email to send it to, and it's in the show notes and everything on the Anchor app and all that. But it's uh, SpinalFusion06 at Yahoo.com. You can also send me some kind of message through social media as well if you ever want to. But anyway, Scott's email read like this. I said, hi, Kevin. I was wondering if you could break down the following questions on the podcast. One, how do you learn to discern when to step in or not when comments are being made from the dugout? There are obvious things that you will hear that need to be addressed, but what about things you are not sure about or are borderline? Seems like a chance to overstep without realizing it. Two, what is your opinion on asking to help on check swings when your partner is in B or C? I hear a lot of guys say to not bother asking in those cases. Three, if you have R3 and there's a wild pitch pass ball that goes toward the first baseline, where do you position yourself for a potential play at the plate? Seems like it would be a bad angle to go first baseline extended, but then again, the catcher seems like he would be in the way of you if you go uh, third baseline extended. Thanks, Scott Ordway. All right. So uh, again, thanks for the the messages there um, that I've always been getting from you, Scott. Let's go with number one first. That seems logical. You know, how do you discern about things for comments from the dugouts? This is tricky. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, and some guys are better equipped or, I don't know, more confident in the way that they handle things. So you probably know partners that are better than others. Some, they don't do anything, which is like the worst, okay? I certainly would rather have somebody uh, maybe overstep or maybe they were incorrect or something like that than do nothing. Doing nothing is not the, the right solution. But anyway, um Okay, if you if you are unsure where the comments are coming from or you don't know who they're directed to, then you got to kind of, you know, maybe be looking and 
you know, have those investigative ears and eyes out there. But if they are specific comments directed at the other team, particularly at the pitcher, or maybe even the current hitter, but definitely when it's at the pitcher, um, you know, if the current hitter is on the other team I'm talking about, then you really need to step in. You got to shut that stuff down, especially if it's happening early in the game. If these teams have had a history, obviously those kind of things can um, kind of get themselves amped up. All right. Um, people don't want to go out there and be the bad guy. Some people are too concerned about that. But then again, remember, uh, we're not only here to make friends. I mean, yeah, we want to be professional. We want people to not hate us and give us trouble and things like that. I understand that. But you still got a job to do. And one of them is to um, make sure people are being sportsmanlike. All right. So um, because one thing leads to another, especially when you're dealing with young people out there. All right. A couple of examples. Uh, When I was working one of my semifinal games this past year um, for the state high school finals, um, and it was a big crowds at Michigan State and everything. We had um, some rowdy students uh, for both teams. And uh, there was a comment directed at me in particular. I was working the plate uh, about like being short because I'm a short guy. All right. So um, I'm not going to take that from anybody in the dugout. But I, I, I took a couple steps over to address it. And I asked, is that from the dugout or up above you? Because I couldn't tell. And they all like instantly pointed up. Now, could they have been lying? Maybe. Uh, But it seemed pretty genuine. There's nothing I can do when it comes from the crowd, right? But if it's from there, I'm going to go over there and address that if they're addressing it toward me, obviously, if there's comments, okay? Um, Any comments toward an umpire, man, we got to try to address that. But if it's from the crowd and somebody's just saying that you're you know, made a terrible call or something like that, you you have to do your best to ignore it. If they're doing something, you know, um, dangerous, you know, or they're uh, trying to incite some situation or they're doing something that's racist or whatever, those kind of comments, or they're vulgar in some fashion, then you can talk to the game administration, uh, whoever might be there, or the head coach of the home team and try to get them removed. You're not going to need to be able to do that uh, yourself. That's um, usually just causes trouble. All right. Um, another incident. I was working a, a junior college regional thing, and I was working third base. We had a three man crew, and they had um, some teams that have been playing each other throughout the year. They're in the same conference, but they're also here playing in the regional, trying to go to the Jugo World Series or whatever. And this one third baseman, big old kid. You know, big athletic kid that's a big home run hitter, a very good player. Um, He's standing there playing third base, and I'm standing by him because nobody was on base. And this pitcher, and it's frequently like a PO or somebody, uh, is like, you know, saying something, you know, back and forth. And then finally this third baseman is like, didn't I hit a bomb off of you? And he's like, no, that's on a little leafy. And they're all kind of laughing. And, you know, like it was kind of funny a little bit. But, you know, when you got – 18, 20-year-olds or so, uh, one thing leads to another, and, and, and then somebody gets insulted and pissed off a little bit, and then one thing leads to another. So, hey, that's enough, all right? You know, pretty soon somebody's just going to get upset, and we're going to have a problem. So, none of that. Quit talking to each other. I mean, I'm not saying they can't talk to each other if they're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, nice, you know, 
nice poke there, whatever, you know, nice play you had out there in center field or whatever they want to say, that's all fine. But when they're saying derogatory things, you got to stop that stuff too if you hear it as well. That's why well, like, it, when it's in between innings, you have to be um, not running out to your position in between innings um, when players are passing each other. Just, you know, one, it's just preventative. And two, if you do hear something, you can jump on the situation as needed. So um, you need to address things. And if you happen to be wrong and you kind of overstep, so what? Who cares? At least they know that, hey, you're not going to – that just sends the message that this guy is, you know, in charge here and he's not going to let people be ridiculous. So that's okay. I'd rather see that. Hopefully that answers your question there. All right, so take care of stuff coming from the dugouts um, and make sure it's sportsmanlike, whatever level you're umpiring, all right, and, and do it early if possible. All right, second one, uh, what's your opinion on asking uh, for help on check swings and B or C? When I do pregames with people, I say if I'm in B or C, uh, come to me if you want and I will give you what I have. And if somebody has a problem with it, we will issue a ball strike warning. <laughs> that's exactly what I say. And that's what I suggest to you. I don't, these guys that say don't bother asking this and that, you have an opinion when you're in B or C. You can um, tell uh, sometimes whether a guy swung or not. And uh, if you believe he did um, or didn't, then you know that's fine. Um, and if somebody has a problem, it is balls and strikes. They're arguing balls and strikes, so you issue a warning. Um, in college baseball, required to go to um, the field umpire or umpires uh, if the catcher or home plate or, or the head coach asks. So I'm always doing that when I'm working levels below college baseball. I, I always go. Now, if you're the home plate umpire and, and you can get it, uh, you know, it's nice if you can get it yourself in BNC. But then sometimes people give you trouble for that. They're like, why don't you go ask? You know, that kind of stuff. So um, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess. But then again, if somebody starts complaining about anything that deals with balls and strikes and check swings are all about balls and strikes because it's either a ball or a strike, right? Then um, immediately don't be afraid to issue that ball strike warning. I've issued ball strike. You know, like if, I've had people come to me and I made a call and one of the teams didn't like whatever I called. And then I called time and I gave them ball strike warning from the field. I mean, I will do that. If you're going to complain about what I just did, I'm I'm going to do it. I mean, and, and I've done it the other way where I've gone and somebody complains and I stop and as a plate umpire, if they're complaining about my partner's call, then I'm going to give a ball strike warning. So just don't put up with any of that. That will stop it right away. Nobody will ever say anything about your ball strikes for the rest of that game or doubleheader or whatever it might be. All right. Okay. So hopefully the answer is number two. Definitely go. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. Help our partners out, right? Three, if you um, – this is a tricky one. If you have a runner on third and there's a wild pitch, pass ball that goes for the first baseline, where do you position yourself for a potential play at the plate? Uh, seems like it would be a bad angle to go to first baseline extended, but then again, the catcher seems like you'd be in your way if you go third baseline extended. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the wild pitches of any story, even the ones – you know, right in back, you know, I don't care where they go back to the backstop can be tricky uh, to get yourself. You don't want to get in the way of uh, the ball coming towards you. You know, like if a catcher is throwing it to the pitcher or uh, the pitchers, cover, you know, the pitcher, maybe like a first baseline one. If it's a weird one that goes up the line, maybe the pitcher could get there and toss it to the catcher or whoever it is. I guess we just got to think the best we can of wedge theory here you know 
uh, when you're working a base. So you want to be on the glove side, you know, which is usually the left side for 90% of everybody, of the fielder or where they're going to be. So if it's a catcher, I mean, 99% of our catchers are, you know, right-handed. So they got their glove on the left hand. So you can be on that left hip and you can move with him. You might end up around the front of the plate, you know, like in fair territory to get that view. Um, just don't lock yourself into where you have to be. I mean, you have to be conscious of staying out of the way of any potential toss or a little throw that might come there for that play. Uh, but you also don't want to have uh, bodies between you so you just get blocked out. So first baseline extended, I mean, yeah, it could be third baseline extended. You might have a nice view there if the if it's just over there. The pitcher gets it and tosses it there. You might have a good view, all right? Uh, if it's the catcher that's grabbing it, the pitcher's coming in, you might be third baseline extended. You might have to rotate as it's tossed uh, and get around the front of the plate to be able to see it. You just have to kind of adjust with that. Um, those are tricky, though, no doubt about it. I mean, and every situation is a little bit different, I'd say. So hopefully that answers your questions, Scott. Um, once again, thanks for the email. I always appreciate it. And like I say, anybody else that wants to send me some kind of message or something, I'm always happy to read it and do what I can with it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's an interesting article in the newest referee magazine by Chris Marshall about two-man positioning, you know, the proper spots to be in B and C. There's always some um, unwarranted debate about that. Uh, if you look at manuals, you look at the way they teach it in professional school, you look at the way that it's taught uh, at the collegiate level and also at the high school level when people are doing things properly, um, there's not really much of a debate where you should be, but we see a lot of people, uh, and I'm sure you might notice this too, that are like too deep or in a, a, a not the best positioning to help themselves out to make a good call. Um, so it's definitely worth it. But some of the things that they were mentioning that I'm going to be trying to teach in this upcoming two-man camp that I'm helping out with, uh, the Done two-man camp here in the Grand Rapids area, like where do you stand in BNC? So like umpire school and, and the way I was taught too, and I didn't go to umpire school, but this is the way I was taught. Um, the two umpire B position is defined as a position like halfway between the back edge of the mound and the cutout at second base. Um, and it's on a tangent line from the corner of home plate through the first base side of the mound. So umpires are instructed to you know put their belt in the middle of the tangent line uh, in the grass, uh, once again at the midpoint between the cutout and the back edge of the mound, you know, squared home plate. So this position establishes the best position you could have for considering all possible plays that uh, an umpire might get in a two-umpire system, which, you know, frequently for the base umpire, 
is apply at any of the three bases, right? But the issue we usually see more often than not is a C position. Because more often than not, an umpire um, will be deeper in C position than they are in B position. So um, I, I don't know exactly why this is. I think it may be as guys are thinking they might get hit by the, a ball. You know, there's a lot more right-handed hitters, and they think they're going to get pulled. The ball's going to get pulled right into them. I mean, that certainly could happen, but it's just as likely to happen, you know, in B position with the lefty up there. Or sometimes a ready that's going the other way. You know, those things kind of can happen. So one of the things uh, uh, Marshall kind of talks about there is that um, your distance in C position should be the same as it is in B position. Your B position establishes your C, all right? So if you notice that, you you know, because I know I kind of try to line up where I can see first base for that pickoff the best I can. I try to get to that midpoint just like they discussed there. But I am very conscious of being able to maybe take a, a quick step or something if I can to see a potential pickoff, all right? Because that is like probably that that is the toughest call in B position along with the back end of a double play, all right? So the big thing there is if I can take that step, I'm going to take the step toward the 45 line and uh, try to get set and see the play the best, best that I can. I mean, it's a tough call there, um, uh, those pickoff plays at first base, but you want to get the best, best look you can, and you certainly don't want to be looking up and through people. Like if you're too close to the line and, you know, basically you're seeing arms and elbows and legs and everything else. All right. So we do see that. Um, same thing when you're in C position. One of the toughest calls you have there is the steal a third or a play when there's a runner on second um, moving to third base, um, you know, like on a ground ball, or a shortstop that's in the hole, that kind of play. Uh, again, stepping up toward the 45 cutout, the third base side anyway, and get the best angle that you can is the best thing that you can do there. And that's what I try to teach when I'm talking to guys and, and newer umpires and such. Um, the other thing in general is uh, just trying to step up. You know, when you have a ground ball, uh, you're in C position, a ground ball, routine ground ball, the shortstop, you step up, face the ball, and then, you know, the ball takes you to wherever the play's going, usually first base, and then you move where you can to get set before the throw gets there. Um, same thing can happen in B position um, where you step up as well. You let the throw um, happen, and then you get the best positioning that you can. So stepping up is something that people need to do. A lot of times you see umpires that don't really move once the ball is uh, hit, and they kind of stay in the same spot, and they don't gain any better angle or um, distance toward the play. All right? So those are a few things that he was talking about in his article. It's definitely worthwhile to take a look at. And if you're in an umpire camp anytime soon here in the fall, um, you can do that as well if you're in C position or B position. Um, well, you know, three umpire system, we frequently are in C position there. Uh, but you're not having plays at first base. But still, you can step up and get plays there as well. All right? If you're in B position in a three umpire system and then you have a a play at first base, there's a little bit difference there, usually in, you know, deep B where you're, you're square to the, uh, to the foul line. Uh, but uh, sometimes you are able to step up. Sometimes it's better to get your angle by uh, going backwards, but you definitely don't want to be straight lining yourself. So those are a few things to think about. I thought that was interesting. And uh, those are a few things that I'll be talking about with the umpires that I see at uh, this next coming weekend's Doan two-man camp. <laughs> 
Well, day one of the Doan two-man umpire camp went well. Uh, it's always a little bit lighter day. We start later in the afternoon, like check-in, noon to one o'clock or so, and then uh, there's usually a ball game. So we had a one ball game, an inter-squad game from Davenport University from 1.30, and we had some umpires that worked that and learned some things. We had guys working a couple innings, you know, either they're working the plate or the bases, and uh, they got some instruction from uh, the umpire umpire instructors that were on the field there and then we talked to the other campers that were there um, watching because in umpire camps you can always learn a lot by watching the games and talking to the instructors and talking to the other campers sometimes too seeing what people do well seeing what people don't do so well and uh, trying to correct yourself the best that you can from that as well then we had uh, Tim Farwig speak and uh, Tim is a longtime don't umpire camp um coordinator, uh, coordinating all the different things. I, I've kind of done the two-man stuff this year because Tim was not available, but he usually does the three-man stuff. So if you ever come to the Doan Camps, um, Tim is usually there um, helping to run the show. He also does that for other CBOA camps and other camps around the country as well. He's off the field now um, as a full-time uh, Division One umpire. Um, he decided to step away from the field for his own reasons. And uh, now he does other things, and he does help out still in the umpire community as a camp coordinator and instructor. So it was a pretty su successful day. Uh, we had uh, really good weather. We also had our pitch track technology that we're using, um, in which uh, it's basically a device that hooks up to a computer, a laptop, has a screen and everything, sits on top of home plate, and can tell you, you know, balls in, out, up, down, whatever it might be. Uh, you got to have a catcher there. And so we had, uh, we're messing with that. We've just gotten that. Um, not a cheap piece of uh, equipment, but definitely a worthwhile one. A lot of camps are starting to go to those kind of things. So the Dome Camp needed to do so as well. So uh, we were messing with that as well. Um, a lot of games coming on Saturday. A lot of individual instruction. The, the campers here will get a, a whole game on the plate and a whole game in the field. And uh, working those bases. So they'll get a lot of individualized instruction there. Plan to do that as well on Sunday. Um, currently, the weather's not looking so great, so we'll see what happens, and we might have to move to an indoor facility. But that could be an opportunity to use our, uh, our pitch strike zone technology stuff um, and work with that. And then also, we are going to maybe have some gym time available and we can work on some individualized things there too maybe a little classroom kind of stuff too so in some ways that that can also be a good time the biggest thing when you come to camp is just want to make sure you get enough time on the field and get your attention that you need to try to help yourself get a little bit better and if you get that in and you get some classroom stuff and you know more philosophy and theory uh, that's a little bit of a good thing as well so that is the update for day one of the dome camp um off to a good start. Day two of the Doan two-man camp for 2023. Things went pretty well. Uh, weather was great, which was nice. Um, looks like we'll probably have good weather again tomorrow. It's always tricky when you have uh, weather situations and people don't get all the opportunities that they they paid for but anyway i was uh on a field for a couple of games with a couple of umpires from um, outside of the grand rapids area and they did a very nice job they had a couple 
tricky situations. One of them was like in the first inning. So they had some runners on base and uh, they had a ball hit, hit up the left center field gap and with the plane on a turf field. So the ball got there pretty well. Uh, one one runner scored, um, and then uh, the batter runner ended up with like a double, and another runner ended up on third. But as the uh, play was developing, uh, the outfielder threw it into the cutoff man, and for some reason the cutoff man decided to throw it to third, though he really had no chance to get the runner on third. And the ball went by the third baseman and into the third base dugout. So the coach for the opposing team was... Uh, coming out and saying, hey, isn't that uh, two bases from the outfield? Isn't that two bases from the outfield? Which, of course, he's correct, all right? And uh, the plate umpire was like, no. <laughs> was he not right there? But anyway, so I wasn't, um, I was watching the play, and I was watching my umpires more, so I wasn't paying as close as attention to the batter runner, but I felt like he got to second base before the throw because we know that's time of the throw. And uh, if that was the case, then he would score along with that runner on third once it went out of play. Um, But anyway, um, after the inning ended and uh, things settled down a little bit, I went and talked to the umpires and I said, did you have that better runner on second base? And they're like, oh, no, he hadn't gotten there yet, which is, you know, I mean, it's their call. It's their judgment. And I'm not saying that they're wrong because I wasn't 100% sure, but whatever. Um, So I went over and I talked to the coach and told him, yeah, you're correct, it is two bases, and they're like, well, he was standing on second base, that's what the coach was saying, and I'm like, well, they thought that he hadn't reached second base, so that was the end of that. Then, a little bit later in the game, probably like halfway through the game, we had a guy um, uh, on second base, and he was trying to steal third or advance to third base, and uh, we had backswing interference. Now, we're playing high school rules, all right, federation rules. And uh, so we have this situation. The guy gets a third base. Uh, it does affect the throw. The catcher's trying to throw it, and you know he can't really make the play because he got hit with the bat on the backswing. <clears throat> and so anyway, the coach, same coach on the other team, and Chris's team ends up losing. You know, that's always the way it works, right? Uh, he's like, well, he's in the box. He's in the box. This is like what he's arguing, whatever. And so then the opposing coach that, you know, their catcher, he comes out and says, isn't he supposed to be out? And and they were, my umpires were sending him back to second. Now in college baseball, it is like kind of like a reset. You know, they don't really call that. I don't know why. It seems like they should. I mean, pro ball, same thing, you know, OBR. But in high school baseball, and I remember looking this up a couple of years ago, whatever, backswing interference is an out. Um and I'll stand corrected. I haven't looked up the rule since I'm talking about this, but I'm quite certain. I'm about 99.9% sure. Actually, I'm 100% sure. But anyway, if you want to look it up and uh, if I'm wrong, please let me know. But uh, so I went and I talked to the umpires. I'm like, that's supposed to be an out. High school rules. There you go. So they, they got it right because, you know, I know I'm not technically umpiring the game. I'm just supervising and instructing. But I, it's to me, when I'm on the baseball field, I want people to get calls right. Okay. And if I have a way of doing it, which I do in that situation, I'm going to make sure they get it right. So they called him out, and uh, there you go. Of course, the other coach was not very happy about it. So I talked to him, and he's he's still saying, well, he was in the box because he thinks like his, you know, he, if his hitter's in the box, he has a right to swing, and if it hits the catcher, then too bad, which is not true because, you know, if if it hits the catcher, you, you should have control of your bat. You can't interfere with his throw. I mean, that's that's the way it is. So he's like, well, it's in the box, you know? I'm like, of course it was in the box. Backswing interference is always going to happen in the box. Where else would it happen? I mean, what? We're not going to have it when he's 
stepping out of the box, taking a practice swing. I mean, that's, you know, not the way it works. So it's kind of a stupid argument. But anyway, um, I told him, yeah, that's, but that's the rule. And of course it happened in the box and he can't interfere with his throw. I mean, you know, he impeded him. So he didn't like that, but whatever. <laughs> so, you know, we went with it and the game ended. There wasn't any big to do about it, but I'm sure he wasn't very pleased. So those are the kind of, uh, I guess, unique situations that we had uh, yesterday in the games that I was uh, helping out with and, and instructing. Um, and I thought that that might be interesting for some of you out there, too. I'll give another update on uh, the last day uh, of the camp, and uh, that'll pretty much wrap up the Doan two-man camp for this season. Uh, I will be helping out also with the three-man camp in a couple of weeks, so I'll be giving some reports on that as well. Well, day three of the Doan two-man camp was a success. The weather held for us. It was supposed to be almost an all-day rain thing that they were predicting a couple of days ago. And in the end, it just ended up being a cloudy, you know, overcast, kind of a little bit dreary day, a little bit cool, but it, it didn't really rain very much. So we were able to get all the games in and all the umpires were able to get the work in that they wanted. Um, I had a couple of uh, games with a couple of umpires that did a nice job. But a couple of things I noticed, you know, there was one umpire I had uh, a couple of days ago that took his mask off too much. That's usually not the problem. I, usually the problem with um, uh, umpires that are still figuring some things out is that they don't take their mask off enough. I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's because, you know, they haven't developed the skill of taking it off with their left hand and, and getting it back on. And so they just want to leave it on when they can so they don't have to worry about it. But anyway, I had one particular umpire that had a little bit of an issue with that. Um, you know, basically what I was telling them and other instructors too, along the way here was you just need to get your mask off when you got to potentially make a call. So obviously if you're making a call at the plate, you know, you got a fair foul situation. Um, there's something strange going on in front of you or whatever, you know, a ball to the backstop and the guy might throw it back for a play at the plate or something. You got to get your mask off. Um, yeah, there's a few times where it's okay to keep your mask on. And sometimes something might happen so quickly that you can't really get it off. I, I understand that. But most of the time, we should be able to get it off. Anyway, um, we also were, you know, there's some things that um, I guess is it's a little tricky sometimes for guys to figure out in two-man mechanics, like who's got what fly ball. So, like, we had a situation where there was a, a pop fly, like, right in the first inning, first or second batter, um, right behind second base. Second baseman was drifting back, right fielder's coming in, first baseman's going out a bit. So, that's a ball that you want to go out on because we have converging fielders. Guys could run into each other, potential catch below the waist, right? So, you should go out on that. But in this situation, boom, right away, U1 is cutting into the middle. And then I look and see the plate umpire moving up toward third base for some unknown reason. I mean, we talked about this after. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Which I guess is better than making up something. But uh, anyway, you just got to be reading your partner. As in two-man, um, you have to read your partner a lot. Um, and it really matters as you go up to three and then four man reading your partners and what they're doing and then reacting off of that. So we really only have that with nobody on base uh, more than anything. Um, and I guess with a runner on first, you should definitely be reading your partner to see what he does. I mean, you, okay. 
the plate umpire should be going to third base. But we do have to kind of read our partner a bit there, especially when we're unfamiliar with him or her, uh, that they're going to actually cover third and do what they're supposed to do. But really, the reading of things is just when you um, one is an A more than anything. So the plate umpire's got to see what he does. If he goes out, then he's got everything. If he, you know, if he doesn't, then then you just, you know, you got your other responsibilities. You're still coming up and having a second set of eyes. We had that. Proper ways to point, you know, fair and foul or just get in position, you know, like your belt buckle on the line, whether you're a base umpire or a plate umpire. Um, and then pointing, of course, you know, our order of operations is fair foul first and then catch no catch. So we had uh, a few situations where we had to get a little bit better on that. Um, other situations like a, a pot fly, um, you know, foul, foul ball over toward, let's say, the first base dugout. Um, that's, um, you know, more toward the, the home plate area there. Okay, plate umpire's coming over. It's probably going to be his catch, no catch. But then I've got a U1 just kind of standing on the line. I'm like, man, you got to pinch over here. You got to see if you can see the glove. Um, that's always a thing on any of these fly balls is trying to see the glove uh, the best you can or get the best angle you can to see the front of the glove so you can see if the guy catches it or not. And even if it's not your primary responsibility for that catch or no catch, you need to be a second set of eyes. If if your partner comes to you and says, well, what did you have? Well, hopefully you maybe had something or you can just tell them what you saw and you did the best you could to work to get your best angle. Same thing with uh, base umpires, you know, and two men working the inside and B and C. Um, you know, you're not really supposed to, you're not supposed to crack lines in, 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 in two man to go out to the outfield. That's not really going to help you. But so I, I guess the best you can do is just get up maybe to the front edge of the grass, the infield grass. Um, that's sometimes difficult to get there too. But more than anything, it's just about getting the best angle you can to see the front of the glove, like I'm saying. So if you move left or right or whatever, um, there's sometimes fielders in your way that you got to kind of move out of the way of two. And you try to get set and see the catch or no catch the best that you can and, and make a good call on that. So that was uh, uh, something that we talked about as well. You know, um, the front... The, the front and back end of double plays when you're the base umpire, um, you know, that call it second. Yeah, sometimes there's a tricky play and you got to kind of stick with it. Uh, but usually that's um, an out that's made. And then you've got to like get, you know, make that call as you're moving toward first base and then get yourself set to make that call at first because that's usually our tougher call. That's usually our potential banger is at first. So we want to get there so that we can make the best call we can at first base and not just be hanging back towards second base and make the call halfway across the field. One, it doesn't look good. And two, you're not in as good a position to maybe make that call. So we had that situation that we talked about as well. Um, you know, there was a couple of uh, strange situations that happened um, in, in their previous game that these guys had, but they didn't really have anything strange in, in this particular game. So that was good. We didn't have that weird kind of backswing stuff going on or or all that kind of stuff that was happening or interference or whatever. So overall, pretty good. Um, we got some good feedback from other umpires are in the camp. Uh, they felt like they learned a lot and improved, which is really the whole point of it. I mean, the point of going to a camp is 
yeah, you're trying to get better assignments. I mean, we're not going to kid ourselves. That's what everybody's trying to do. Move up for whatever level they're trying to move up to. But really, the thing you have control over is, can I get a little bit better um, during this time that I'm here? And I think that there was a good number of guys that could say yes to that. So that means it was a success. So I guess overall, the Don Two Man Camp for this year was a success. In a couple of weeks, we'll have the three-man camp, and I'll be there as well, and I'll do some reporting on that when that time comes. Well, there you have it. Another episode in the books of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. I thank you very much for listening and certainly getting to this point in the podcast. I know people might skip around a bit here and there to listen to certain things, but uh, I know there's a good number of you that actually listen to the entire podcast, and I appreciate that. Like I said, I will be helping out and instructing and such at the Doan three-man camp at the end of September, um, and I will report back on that. That will probably be one of my next podcasts that I do. Um, you see the title of this podcast, Band of Brothers. That's really what we are in the umpiring world. I know that's like the World War II reference as well. I'm a, I'm a history teacher, so not surprising that I throw that kind of stuff in there. But uh, we are a band of brothers trying to work together to be the best that we can be on the baseball field and help each other do that. We definitely compete against each other for better assignments and things like that. And, and, and umpires are competitive. And I think a lot of sports officials are in general. Uh, but uh, we have to kind of keep those things in check and definitely help each other along because I know that I want to have the best partners I can on the field. So I do what I can to help promote umpiring and promote getting the best umpires out there so that when I'm working with somebody, I feel confident with them and I hope that they feel confident with me. So I urge all of you to help in your local groups and associations to uh, promote umpiring and promote the best ways of umpiring and get new people in and help them be successful. Uh, If we do that, then uh, we'll have a a healthier umpiring community and uh, we'll all be doing a better job and um, have less issues when we're on the field. So that would be nicer as well. Until that time, as I always say, keep calling strikes.